if you've ever had the effort of um, making home, homemade yogurt, I hear David's a bit of a professional at homemade yogurt. Oh. Michael tried to make some coconut yogurt this week. <laughs> uh, but there's usually, um, when you're making yogurt, you actually start with, you, you know, to help you in the process, you have a, a starter. You've got a yogurt starter. So you have like a, you know, maybe a liter of milk. And then you add a tape, you know, a few tablespoons of, of existing pre yogurt that's already made. And you add that to the milk and then put it in the incubator um, and uh, let it do its thing. And over time, that one liter of milk turns into yogurt. Uh, and, but usually it starts with this starter culture is what it's called. It's a culture. You add a little bit of something and that culture actually impacts the greater, bigger scheme of the whole batch. And so even though it's a little bit of culture, it actually impacts the majority of the, the liquid and turns it into yogurt. There you go, guys. If you didn't know what, that's what happens, uh, you can try that at home. Um, <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> But uh, yeah, so but that's the same aspect of what happens when we talk when people are talking about um, culture in businesses, in organisations, in church. Church culture is usually it's it's these small things that happen that make the organisation, and then that actually impacts the broader organisation. Like that everyone kind of feels that that culture, and so if one person or a group of people start being really welcoming and, and loving, it's. You can't help but want to welcome people and be loving and, and embrace everyone around you in that organisation. The same with, with a negative culture. When there's something, some, just one person, it just takes one person to um, uh, be slanderous or be negative towards others. And that can impact and affect the whole organisation. You, you feel it. You feel the culture of that, like just in that group of people. And so culture is so important. And the same with our society when we talk about uh, we're in a culture. It, we're, we're talking about the fact that there's these principles at work in our society that we don't even realise are happening. There's principles in our friendships, in our family, that we don't actually realise, but we're just a part of this bigger culture that is at work that has kind of moulded us and shaped us into people that we are. Mm. That we have this as part of us. This is kind of what culture is. Where there's these little things that happen in us and it, it actually impacts a big part of us. And so we're looking at Romans 15. Now, think about for a second, uh, you're a, a Roman person. You're, you live in the city of Rome in the first century. And uh, in this church that we find ourselves Paul's writing to, there's these two groups of people. There are, there are Jewish people who have come from other places and, and have landed up in Rome uh, and are working. And, they are, and these, there's some Jewish people that have uh, discovered Jesus is Lord. They've decided to follow Jesus uh, and they're now in Rome trying to do life in Rome um, as Jewish Christians uh, and they're in this this church setting that they're in but then there's also Roman citizens people who are, weren't Jew non-Jewish people Gentiles are living in Rome and also have discovered Jesus is Lord uh, and so in the context of the Roman church there was probably a, roughly around 200 um, maybe up to 200 to 500 uh, Christians in this epic city that had this major, you know, this is the hub of the Roman Empire. It was massively pr promiscuous. Uh, it was, it really idolized violence and war and power. Uh, they were hungry for this power. This, you can imagine this culture with these centurions all around and, you know, just people thinking they're amazing because they're just promiscuous and have all these women and just, they're just like this crazy culture that they're a part of but then yet in the church 
there's these two, two distinct cultures that they've been brought up in, a Jewish, Jewish setting, a Jewish setting, and um, this Gentile Roman setting, that they've been brought up in these two different cultures. But yet, they're called to actually unite together. They're called to actually bridge those tensions, bridge the differences in their culture, and actually come together to glorify and worship Jesus come together united, and in their unity, there is an excitement, there is, there's the beauty in the body of Christ, in their unity. And so this is, this is why it's so important for Paul to write these letters. This is why Paul wrote letters to churches, because there's this real tension that is at work in these churches. And so what we find ourselves in Romans 15, it's actually towards the end of the book. Most of us probably haven't even read the last couple of chapters of Romans, because when you're reading Romans, like you, you get through the first eight chapters and it's like, this is rich, dense stuff. There's a lot going on. And there's a lot of theology. And then even up to chapter 12, it's, it's like, you're done by chapter 12. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm finished with this book because it's so rich and dense. Um, but then, and then often, you know, uh, chapters 15 and 16, they're, they're mostly the narrative of what's going on. And mostly it's the context of the, of the letter. Uh, and I've just, I just uh, got a book called Reading Romans Backwards. And it's a scholar who's trying to uh, get, help people to actually read Romans backwards. It's helpful to understand the broader context of the whole book um, so that you can yeah, better understand the theology that is going on. And that, that, that real study of God that Paul is so richly dense in the first 8 or to 12 chapters, it's, um, it's actually better understood when we actually understand the broader context of this tension that they're at work. This is not just like nice words that we get to ponder. We, you know, it is. It is nice words that we get to ponder, but it's not just that. Paul's writing to a particular context where it's trying to uh, address the tension that is at work within these different groups of people. Uh, and so it's, it's important to realise that and think about that. Uh, and in particular, Paul, Paul doesn't want people to just understand the theology. He doesn't want people just to, to understand the knowledge, the, the, the intellect of God. The, 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 he doesn't just want them to grab a hold of this thing and then let it be head knowledge and that's it. Paul is so interested in us doing lived theology. He wants us to actually live out our understanding of God. So it actually impacts our actions. It actually impacts. It's not just this, oh, that was nice. I, you know, I got something out of that and that was cool. No, it actually changes something about us. That's, there's Paul's intentions for writing these letters and these amazing words in the book of Romans. And so that's, that's how our goal in reading this is not just um, trying to get some understanding, but actually, how does this affect how I live? And how can I see the tensions that are at work in this church and try and understand that from my context? Try and get a, get a rather better understanding of how I can work in the tensions that, that are in my world. What are the tensions that I'm faced with? And how can I bring the, the story of Jesus and actually unite that together? Love the sound of it. Beautiful. So we're going to read Romans 15, this, this bit here. Um, let me read. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbour for the good purpose of building up the neighbour. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, on Jesus. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness, by faithfulness, 
and by the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may, be, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, might glorify God for his mercy. And go to verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Now Scott McKnight, as in this the book that I, I talked about in reading Romans backwards, he, he says this, he says, The issue in the church in Rome is the same we have today. The issue is the inability of the privileged and the powerful, the strong, to embody the gospel's inclusive demand and include the disprivileged and the disempowered, the weak. And so the heart of what I want to share about tonight is how the gospel turns our privilege and power towards peace and hope. And this is massive because we are so privileged. Right here in Australia, right here in this city, we are massively privileged. We are massively privileged. We have so much at our advantage. So much that majority of the world doesn't have, couldn't even imagine that we have at our fingertips. We are massively, massively privileged. And we are, in a sense, have, are the powerful people. We have this kind of power to, at our grasp. And we need to actually recognize we have this. We are the, the power empowered and privileged. Mm. And how does the gospel call me to turn my, my power and privilege? It's not saying that I'm a bad person for having that. It's actually the gospel turns that towards mm. peace and hope. Yeah. It turns our power and privilege, not to you know, deny it and say, no, I, don't want, I can't have that because it's, that's not unchristian. No, it's, we actually turn that towards peace and hope. We're actually called to turn that to bring peace and hope into our world. And it should change how we act and live towards others. You see, in the culture of our society, in the culture grander society around us, we're called to bring peace and hope. In the culture of our workplaces where we work, we're called to bring peace and hope. In the culture of our families, in the culture of our friendship groups, of our classrooms, of, of every sphere of life. We're called to bring peace and hope into those environments and actually see the gospel change situations. And so here I have written there a few questions, reflection questions, and these questions are, are for us to think about this week. Um, and, you know, take these little booklets home with you uh, and to think about, do, do I have power and privilege? And actually consider, what, what does that look like? How do, what does my power and privilege look like? What does that look like for me? And I would probably say that you do have that. And just to think about it. Secondly, how does that impact how you think about and treat others? 
How does your power and privilege impact how you think about others? And in particular, I, I mean, I've been trying to think of lately, like, who are the people that I get annoyed at? Who's the, like that person that just frustrates me? That type of person that just, oh, kind of, I just get frustrated at that kind of person. And is, do I get frustrated at that person? And is that kind of, is that right? Is that right of me to do that? Actually think about how my power and privilege impacts how I think and treat others. And how, how do you see God turning that power and privilege towards peace and hope? Some just good questions to ponder and think about this week. Because we, yeah, we're meant to continue to see that the, the gospel turns our privilege and power towards peace and hope. And see, the thing with hope is that we can, we can have um, a false hope. We can have hope in the wrong places. See, there is, there is this hope that God calls us to, this hope that he's called out, calling us to live in, but we can also have hope in the wrong things. We can have a hope for a success that leads to taking advantage of people. We can have a hope for approval, acceptance, that uh, leads to belittling others. We can have a hope for an effectiveness or a performance, but neglects to notice the people around us, neglects to see the worth in the people around us. And we can have a hope for a comfort and ease that leads us to not acting when we really should. There's these hopes, and this, this is essentially idolatry. When we're hoping in other things, this is essentially idolatry. And this is what we all have to, like, we all have these little things that we hope in that isn't what God is calling us. It isn't God himself. And uh, it's essentially the image of idolatry, that we worship something else. And we all have these little things. This is what we did last year in Counterfeit Gods, identifying the counterfeit gods uh, in our lives, the, the idolatrous ways. Um, we all have these things that we cling to, that we hope in, and that we can continue through our whole life uh, wanting to confront these things. And actually go, God, how, where is this false hope? Where am I actually hoping in the wrong thing? And am I actually doing it? This is not right. Where are you calling me to put my hope in? And Dallas Willard beautifully says that faith in Christ and the initial hope, it inspires... It, and the initial hope it inspires leads us to stand in the grace of God. And standing there leads in turn to a life full of love. Let me say that again. Faith in Christ and the initial hope it inspires leads us to stand in the grace of God. And in standing there leads in turn to a life full of love. You see, faith and hope are actually really closely connected. In the book of Hebrews, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's, it's, the, it's the very physicality of, of the things what we actually hope for. That's our faith. That's what we believe in. That's what we, we actually believe in. And so there's this really tight connection between faith and hope. And so what we believe in is so important and so connected to this hope that we have. And so when we actually hope in Christ and in who he is and what he can bring and his call for our lives, that leads us to stand in his grace. We can't help but go, God, you are amazing. We can't help but actually stand in, in awe of his love for us. We can't help but go, 
God loves me. He cherishes me. He's given his, the gift of his life. And so we stand in this gift of him. We are accepted by him. And then that's as we stand in grace. That love then permeates through our whole lives. And we lead lives of love that actually helps, enables us to love others in a way that isn't possible just by our own human way, our own human understanding and wisdom. And so this is what faith and hope can do for us when we stand in His grace and let His love change us. Now our nation, as we said, it has, has a terrible history when it comes to uh, the Aboriginal people. Terrible. It's just, you know, we, I, I don't need to go. We know it's been terrible. We know there's, uh, there's you know, abuse, there's, there's massacre, there's the removing of children from families, there's the slavery, there's, there's this extreme horrors that the Aboriginal people have experienced at the hands of our settlers, of our, this is our history, and uh, all in the name for that white European settlement. They, they thought that they, they would come to this land and uh, bring a cleansing to the, from the black people and their way of, their hope was actually that would bring white European settlement. And that was the hope. And many of these people were actually had a background of Christianity. Many of these people would have said that the Bible was the word of God. Uh, they wouldn't have lived kind of its practices. You know, a big portion of them may have said they're Christian, but actually didn't really live that lifestyle, and uh, their hope was essentially that they would bring this white settlement. That was what their hope was in. That if they could bring that, then Australia is going to be a great nation. And in the, in the process, led to extreme horrors. This is what it looks like to put our hope in the wrong place. When our hope is not anchored in the right place, it can, can lead to some terrible things. But then there's also, you know, in our history, there, there are some, you know, there was probably just a few, but there were some amazing Christians in this that stood for the justice of the Aboriginal people, that stood for these people wanting justice for these people and, and believing that through the Bible, it, it shows that we should love our neighbour and that we should treat the immigrants and the, and the slave, enslaved and the oppressed um, as, as God would, as we should treat them, with love and dignity. Uh, and there's, uh, yeah, there's this, like a man, the, an example is, is a man called William Walker. Um, and William Walker, uh, at the age of, of 21, uh, came to the shores of Australia in 1821, uh, very early on. And um, he, he adopted a, a young Aboriginal man by the name of Dickie Benelong, um, who this, this kid uh, lost his family uh, in a massacre. And he didn't have anyone. So this, this Wesleyan minister at the age of 21, this young dude, adopts this Aboriginal guy who actually was around the similar age. He was probably just uh, younger than him. Um, and takes him in. Uh, and he didn't enforce like a Western way of living. Um, there was times that he, Dickie Benelong would kind of go to, with his, his crews, his people. Uh, but the, the one thing that he really wanted to instill was that Dickie Benelong would, would be able to understand and read the Bible. That, that he would be able to get something out of the Word of God. And in that process, Dickie uh, discovered Jesus. He discovered Jesus and was saved and called Jesus his Lord. 
And um, it's recorded that Dickie Benelong is actually the first evangelist, the Aboriginal evangelist, uh, who actually went to his people and would, would share of Jesus' amazing love for him and that, that he, he, Jesus can bring hope for their people. And so here, just in the midst of the horrors, there are moments where Christians actually have their hope anchored in the right thing, where Christians can hope in Jesus, that can hope in Jesus in a way that can bring life and transformation. And this is what it means to put our hope in Jesus and let hope be the thing that we want to see in our society. Be hope, be the thing that actually comes alive. This hope that is in Jesus, that can truly bring life. And so we need to be aware of our false hopes. We need to be aware of where we've hoped in the wrong things. And keep just asking ourselves this. Because, yeah, we see that the gospel turns our privilege and power towards peace and hope. And so that's, that's what we're continually called to do. See, faith in Christ, as Dallas Willard says, and the initial hope it inspires leads us to stand in the grace of God. And standing there leads in turn to a life full of love. And so how do we stand for hope? And um, yeah, I've just been really inspired by the words of Paul in the book of Ephesians lately of, of the armour of God, a very well-known passage. Uh, and I'd like to kind of label it, it's the armour of hope. This kind of uplifting, this thing that we hope for. And it's kind of like Christian ethics and values of, of the Christian kingdom coming out alive in something that we can wear, something that we can put on. Uh, this new way of living that we can wear and put on ourselves, almost like the new creation clothes that we can wear, this armour of hope. And Paul says that our battle is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. Our battle isn't against you know, how good we can be against each other. No, our battle is against the spiritual darkness, yeah. the spiritual evil that is in our world that pervades and says, no, you're not good enough. No, the spiritual darkness that says, no, that you should divide. You can't trust that type of person. They should be angry with this kind of person. That they continually wants to divide us and causes tension and anxiety between each other. But God wants to bring that unity and actually enable us to wear hope. And so there's these elements of the armour of God that we're called to stand in. Every day, how do I actually know if I'm standing in hope and the right hope? Like Because if... If hope is really important, and if I could potentially live in false hope, then how do I know if I'm standing in the right hope? I mean, let's just if that brain goes there. I'm sure Luke would have done that or something. Just overthinking. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Uh, we all do it. No. Yeah. Um, and so we call to wear hope. And so these elements are things that we can wear. Elements of the, the, the belt. The belt of truth. The belt of truth. The good news works because it is true. The good news works because it's true. We can trust the good news of Jesus because it is true. And never give up on the truth of Jesus. Never give up on the truth of the good news because it holds us in place. We trust Jesus. You are the truth. And we trust in you. And so when we come across situations, we can ask ourselves, how does the truth of Jesus impact my situation? Yeah. 
How does the truth of Jesus impact what's going on? How can I walk in hope and actually let her? How does the truth of Jesus impact this situation? That we wear a breastplate, the breastplate of justice, otherwise known as righteousness, but justice is those words are kind of connected. This, this is, is about us realizing that God is the one true judge. And he intends to put the whole world to rights. God is going to bring justice. Yeah. We can trust in his justice. And that, that protects us from getting you know, hit front on. It protects us from getting damaged. That God, no, no, you're the one that brings justice. We, I, I, I'm not in control. I, you know, I think I know what's right for justice. But you are going to bring justice. I'm going to trust in you. And so we can ask ourselves, how can I trust God is in control and will bring justice? And we go on to the shoes, the shoes of peace. That the enemy will do all he can to knock you off your feet. He will do all you can to knock you from your feet, to entice you to bring tension and anxiety to others. To entice you to, to, to bring that angst into the situations around you. But we're called to hold fast to the message of peace. Yeah. Hold fast strongly to that message of peace. Going, no, we won't get knocked off our feet by the, that angst that we have. But we will stand strong in peace. And so how can we walk or stand fast into any situation concerned with bringing peace? Mm. Not tension and anxiety, but bringing peace. This great softness into our situations, and there's the shield, the shield of faith, and our belief in Jesus and our loyalty to Him will enable us to shield ourselves, guard ourselves from the flaming arrows of the enemy, the flaming arrows of doubt, the flaming arrows of despair, the flaming arrows of temptation, that this shield actually enables when we believe in him, no Jesus, we trust and believe, we have loyalty to you, we're going to shield ourselves from those things that try and bring us down. No, I trust in you God, I trust in you I believe that you're going to pull us through, I believe that you're going to work your way through this situation and the helmet of salvation, the helmet that guards our minds, that knowing already that you belong to the family of God, that you are accepted, that you are saved, that you are redeemed. It enables us, enables our minds to know that we are loved, to stand in that salvation. And so how can we let our thoughts be shaped by God's love for us, that he gave his life to save and redeem us. And lastly, that sixth thing, the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon. Everything else is called to defend, but we're called to attack with the, the Word of God, with something that can't harm people, but with that will bring life. Yeah. Something that is called to speak life as the Word of God into the situation. That we're called to speak the word of God in faith, believing that it will bring light into the darkness that we experience. And so that's obviously a quick picture of the armor of God. And, and I know many of you know that kind of image and something to think about and look into this, this week. But this is, this is, these are elements that we can stand in hope in. 
how do we stand in hope is to actually allow these things to impact, impact our lives during the week. Is to allow these things to actually be shaped by the values of God's kingdom, not be shaped by the culture of our world, these little bits of things that come into our world from other areas, but be shaped by the very values of God's kingdom impacting who we are, that we hope in Him, Jesus, to be able to move in our world, not putting our false hope in what we think we need, our desires, but putting our hope that is fueled by Jesus. So we realize that the gospel turns our privilege and power towards peace and hope. Yes.